Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. I was relaxing at home in my crappy studio apartment when this text from Control made me sit up and pay attention. High Point State Park in Sussex, New Jersey has been closed for the foreseeable future due to a series of disappearances in the area over the past two weeks. In one case, a full family of five, complete with dog, went on a hike and vanished completely. In another case, a lone 43-year-old female hiker vanished, and in another, two 20-year-old college students who had been friends for years disappeared. There is no connection. The local police are treating it as a potential serial killer. We at the Paranormal Pinkertons do not discount this possibility, but the randomized nature of the disappearances and the fact that there is no trace whatsoever indicates to us the possibility that a cryptid may be involved. See the cases documented by David Polides and the Bee. That is where you come in, Detective Russo. If it is a cryptid, neutralize it in whatever manner you see fit. If you find reason to believe otherwise, report that as well. Now, normally Control's messages end here, but this one continued. The Appalachian Mountains are home to some of the most dangerous cryptids in the world. Hopefully I don't need to remind you to be particularly careful with this case. More than one agent has gone into the mountains and forests, never to return. It was the first time ever that Control has warned me about a case. This must be serious. I did some digging into the Appalachian Mountains. Not a lot of people realize they go through New Jersey, but they do. Over 70 miles of Appalachian Trail sneaking its way through the northern part of the state, including, of course, High Point State Park. There were a lot of possibilities, but most of them seemed to be centered around more southern states, like Kentucky and Tennessee. I guess it was possible it really was a serial killer, though this didn't fit the serial killer M.O. very well. Most of the time they target a particular subset of people, like young women or something. Not a random sampling of whoever they could get their hands on. I broke open a book I got from Old Tom, Appalachian Wildlife God Abandoned Stillborn. I listed the potential culprits. It could be the Snallygaster, a sort of flying gator-like thing, or a Dwyo, the Appalachian version of Bigfoot. There were also Devil Monkeys, Mothman, and something called the Whirling Wimpus. What's up with all of these ridiculous names? Anything deadly that was found in the Appalachians I considered as a possibility. Sure, they weren't normally found in New Jersey, but this was clearly not a normal situation. Who knows what brought them so far north? There were Aztec pyramids in the Louisiana bayou and elves in Hollywood, and I've wrangled with an English fey witch who somehow got stuck center state. I'd be an idiot not to be prepared. So I was off on another hour-plus drive to High Point State Park, and once again I was heading in at night. 
I had to sneak in, but it was necessary. A lot of cryptids only showed up at night anyway, and now it was, of course, closed until further notice during the day. So it was off on another hour-plus drive to High Point State Park, and once again I was heading in at night. I had to sneak in, but it was necessary. A lot of the cryptids only showed up at night anyway. The New Jersey stretch of the Appalachian Trail is big, but it isn't that big, and the majority of it is very well mapped out. Still, for a proper monster hunt, I was going to have to go off the beaten path. Classic paranormal Pinkerton work. I was going to start by checking out the locations each of the missing persons was last seen and moving on from there. This time around, I took my usual small handheld lantern, a 12-gauge shotgun I modded to hold five shells in the magazine, a crucifix I kept around my neck made of iron to ward off Fay if it came to that, and that's nearly it, actually. I had, through a friend, of course, gotten my hands on a Glock 37, then slipped a knife into an ankle holster. Them and the Ring of Dispel, which I always wore, the ring that allowed me to see through the veil to the supernatural reality on the other side and to break enchantments. I wondered why I wasn't teaming up with another Pinkerton. Common sense is you don't head into the mountains alone. I'm guessing it's connected to why the only people making regular reports of the Pinkertons right now are me, Jack Morrow, and Jim Donovan, though I still hadn't gotten to the bottom of that one, and Control wasn't saying a peep. Whatever. Point is, I was driving up the mountain to High Point State Park at 9 o'clock at night. The real adventure began with a loud bark. Out from the bushes jumped a massive black dog, with red eyes larger than dinner plates. Its bark was loud enough to cut through the noise of the engine and it snarled at me as I drove, charging me. Large animals, supernatural or otherwise, can shatter glass and kill the car's passengers, namely me. I gritted my teeth and lost the game of chicken. I had no choice. I yanked the wheel to the side, right downhill into a forest of trees. What a start. Well, I fought for control with my beat-up blue Hyundai Sonata, put my whole body into it, stomach churning and intestines lurching left and right. I bashed my head against the window, trying to control my car's descent, and it made me see stars. But this was serious business. This car was my only way out of the mountains. If I hit one of the many, many trees in the way, it was over. As I slid further and further down the mountainside, I fought to break the car, dodging tree after tree, crushing brush and uprooting bushes. I shouted, praying to God Almighty for preservation. As I slid further and further down the mountainside, I went skidding over gravel, snow patches and vines, more sled than motor vehicle. At one point I managed to get the car turned sideways, but it kept sliding. The land dropped off and my car ramped off a small cliff landing nearly sideways a few feet down. My head slammed into the driver's side window once more. There was a moment of pain, then blackness. I woke up in flashes. Starting off the mission with a concussion in a wrecked car? Classic Russo. At first I heard the barking of a dog, then after an unclear amount of time, a man's voice. Well, holy shit, the bastard's still alive. Next thing I remembered, I was lying down on... I tried to look around through my throbbing headache. I guess some sort of bed? I was in what looked like an old-timey log cabin and a towel was on my head. A log cabin? Huh? I couldn't think straight. 
I heard a dog bark, and then a voice said, the same voice I heard earlier, Well, looky here, princess. Seems like Sleeping Beauty is awake. Fighting back a wave of nausea, I sat up and forced myself to speak. Where am I? Who are you? Where's my car? Now hold on, son. Take a sip of this, and I'll take each question one at a time. The strange man, who looked like some sort of Indian medicine man, baubles, little strange runes all over his clothes and all, thrust a cup of something hot into my hands. It tasted like bitter black coffee and smelled like fresh dirt, but I can't deny it helped to clear my head. <sighs> Thanks. But really, where am I? You're at my house, son. The name's Tolly. I've been living here for quite some time, princess. At the time, my head was still scrambled, but later it occurred to me that there wasn't supposed to be anybody living here. Instead, I said this. Princess? My dog! And to my utter shock and amazement, a massive, terrifying-looking black hound stood up next to its master's side. The very same dog that jumped in front of my car earlier. That! Uh, that! That's right! Princess is what I've heard some folks call a, uh, snarly yow. No need for me to hide it if you can see her. She's normally, what's the word, incorporeal. But she took a liking to me. Princess and I go way back. I stared in open-mouthed amazement as Tolly gave me a penetrating look. Your car is somewhere up the mountain, and I suggest you wait until morning to get it. I'm amazed you're here at all. I thought they closed down the mountain to tourists. I was still trying to wrap my head around Princess the Incorporeal Hellhound. Although the bitter coffee was helping to clear my head faster than I expected, I still felt like I was a half-step behind everything else trying to catch up. You have a grim... as a pet? Grims are known for hanging around churchyards and are well known as harbingers of death. The eyes give it away. A snarly yow is an Appalachian variant known for jumping in front of cars and terrifying travelers, but with the same end result. Lucky me. Snarly yow, young man. Princess is scary looking, and I'm sorry you recognize her, but she's trying to help. Princess is telling you to go back, and you should listen. I looked at Princess suspiciously, then stood up. Never mind that for now. Listen, thanks for the help, but I need to find my car. It's my only way of getting around. You'll probably need a tow if you can even get it to the roads, but it isn't far. Maybe a ten-minute walk up the mountain. Good thing I had Princess to help me carry you. I can't force you to stay, but I advise you wait here for the night, young man. There are strange things lurking about right now. Winter grants power for them beyond the norm. If my head had been working a little bit better, I probably would have asked Tolly about the strange things he was referring to. I also probably would have stayed the night. But despite the speed my headache was clearing up, what was in that coffee Tally gave me? I still wasn't 100% and wanted very much to try and find my car. Thanks for the warning, but I can take care of myself. I've had training. I appreciate everything, Tolly, but I'm off to find my car. Well, far be it for me to stop you, but you better take this. He handed me my shotgun and other weapons. 
I didn't want anything going off. You panicked. Figured you had it with you for a reason. I hope you know what you're doing. I stepped out of the cabin into the night, then grabbed my... Somehow working, though it had no reception. Phone from my pocket and turned on my flashlight. Unfortunately, Tali hadn't grabbed my lantern, so it was my only light source. It was damn cold outside. So do I. Now, this was, in hindsight, very, very stupid. There was no reason not to wait until the morning, at least, and prepare for my monster hunt with my head a little clearer. But my head wasn't clear, rapidly though it was clearing, and at the time, finding my car seemed like the top priority. Just remember, if what I'm doing seems dumb, I literally had brain damage. The log cabin Tali lived in was located halfway down the mountain. The whole area was blanketed with trees, so deep and black that I blocked out any moonlight that might have been showing, leaving my dim phone flashlight as my only way forward. Doggedly, I hiked up the mountain. It was probably five minutes before it became impossible to see Tali's log cabin. Another five minutes and my head had cleared enough for me to realize how stupid this was. I couldn't see more than five feet in front of me. I hadn't hit my car, and Tali's cabin was already out of sight. It was too late now. I had to keep moving forward. This is when I first heard the noise. It started off sounding like a whoosh, like the sound a kite makes when you whip it through the air. When I heard it, I stopped and looked around, raising my gun at a probable direction. No good. It was too dark and my phone didn't cast enough of a light to help me see. I was ready to keep searching for my car when the sound grew louder and... deeper? Sound less like a whoosh and more like a bee's buzz. No, like a buzz saw, actually. Concussion or not, my alarm bells were ringing. Quickly, I cycled through Appalachian cryptids in my head, trying to work out what could be causing this noise. Dwyo? Snallygaster? Devil monkey? It hit me like a ton of bricks, so hard that I slammed myself to the ground, and just in time, too. A shape came whirring through the air directly over my head. I felt the hooves brush my hair, pulling my scalp and nearly breaking my neck. That's right. Hooves. The Whirling Wimpus is one of the most terrifying monsters to stalk the Appalachian Mountains. Don't let the silly name fool you. Seven feet tall, with hooves like a horse and a body like a gorilla, it kills its prey by skinning so quickly it turns invisible. Once it's worked its way up to full speed, causing a distinctive buzzing sound to fill the air, it pounces at the victim, flattening them into paste, which it eats. Knowing my luck, it'll slurp me through a crazy straw. No other trace is left, and now it's after me. Fantastic. This wasn't how it was supposed to go. This was supposed to be a hunt. I was going to track this creature down, figure out what it is, and then come up with a plan to take it on. I mean, I guess it is a hunt, but I'm not the hunter. I tried to think, and let me tell you, any lingering fogginess caused by the concussion had been banished by fear and adrenaline. I was alert. I took stock. I could barely see, and even if I could, the damn monster could turn invisible anyway. I did notice something. When the monster leapt, he absolutely obliterated the trees in his path. 
enter one patch of trees was... My car! My good old beat-up blue Hyundai Sonata was sitting just a few yards away, lights still on. The beautiful thing has rear-fendered a passenger door deep into a massive set of honeysuckle and creeper. Tally hadn't turned off the car. It looked as if I had miraculously avoided damage to the engine. The driver's side door was dented and the window was shattered, but the car itself was in shape. Small miracles. Now if I could just survive to make it there. The buzzing started again. I threw myself against the nearest tree. I don't think it had the power to cut down whole trunks. At least, not until it got up to full speed, so I guess that gave me a few seconds. My brain started working again and struck me with a thunderbolt. The trees. This monster was big, and he didn't have a lot of room to spin. I needed to try and see where the trees were being hit and use that to spot him. I whipped out my phone and tried to look closely. Again, I wished I had my lantern with me. There. The leaves. The wimpus had climbed to the top of one of the trees and was preparing to leap down, but you could see the leaves around one particular tree start to fly off in a frenzied pattern, right in my direction. There was no time to waste. I knelt down and fired my shotgun dry. Quantity was going to be my friend tonight. The wimpus gave a scream of pain, like a howling gorilla as it leapt through the air towards me but the shotgun blast had slowed it down enough that I could see it coming and dodge over to the side. Still, it landed less than five feet away from where I had scrambled and rose to its full height. The beast was bleeding. I had winged it on the side of its stomach, but it wasn't a direct hit. I fumbled while reloading my shotgun. My fingers wouldn't obey me. The monster was only feet away, and it was angry. It howled again, like a train charging through a tunnel, this time more in anger than in pain. Standing at full height, all seven feet of it, it turned towards me. The creature really did look an awful lot like a demon. Its teeth dripped with foamy spit and gore. Its stomach was opened. I could see muscle, or maybe more. But it didn't stop it. Not at all. The short, hooved legs kept it upright as much despite physics as God Almighty. Its hands gripped and ungripped, twitching and curling. This was my best chance at a shot, but I have to admit I froze. Another shotgun cartridge slipped out of my fingers. My head started throbbing. It was the eyes. Its red, red eyes. They radiated something more than animal anger and hunger. It was malice. It was hatred. Hatred for me. I had seen it too much. The eyes of a friend turned vampire with Morgana Le Fay whenever I had ruined her plans, whatever they were. Because I had stepped up. Either to stop evil or to hunt a murderous beast down, I had offended their very uttermost being. And they would never forget it. My priest once told me that the world hates us because of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I wonder if the Terre isn't so otherworldly. Maybe the world gets right along with them. So, I froze. I forgot about the new gun, the knife on my ankle, and even the crucifix. I wasn't Jack Morrow who could stand up against this monolithic evil without hesitation, or Jim Donovan who knows all of the enemy's plans and subverts their own rules against them. Hell, I barely impressed old Tom on successful missions. 
I knew that the Wimpus would win, and it would kill me. How does anyone stand up to something so awful? The creature took one bounding leap on its hoofs and stood before me, where it grabbed me by the neck with its massive gorilla hand. I tried to struggle, but it was no use. The pressure grew, and it was but the work of a moment and a twitch for this thing to finish me off. Its coarse skin left shallow cuts in my neck. This was the end. I heard a snarl, followed by a booming bark. The wimpus loosened its grip, its heat distracted, and I was on my knees gasping for air as I reached for my handgun, struggling with the new holster. Princess the Snarly Yao jumped for the throat of the Wimpus and hung on for dear life. Its jaws, larger than I had feared, tore into the beast's neck. As the Wimpus tried to shake it off, rolling its shoulders and body-slamming the ground, before finally grabbing her and throwing her into a tree with a crack, she slumped there, whining softly. This was my only chance. I was right next to the Wimpus. I had the Glock pointed directly at its face this time, it was badly injured. It looked at me, dumbly. I had sprung for the 11-round magazine. I spent four rounds in its head and the rest around the chest, looking for the heart. The beast should have been killed when I liquefied its brains, but who knows with a monster like this. There were no exit wounds, and it fell like a collapsing stone wall. With the monster down, I ran towards Princess. Snarly Yows were classified as creatures of the Terre, but the Grim had saved my life. I knelt next to her as she whimpered softly. Princess looked at me, and I could see the intelligence in her eyes. She understood me. I have a question for you, Princess. That Wimpus, it hated humans, right? It wasn't just some random monster, it was a creature of the Terre. Princess didn't say anything, but she looked at me as if she was waiting for me to get to the point. You're a creature of the Terre too. I have a question for you. Why? Why do you hate humans so much? Why are you our enemies? What did we ever do to you? The hound actually gave a short bark like a laugh and spoke with a spectral voice. I wasn't surprised, though. It felt right. You already know the answer to that, Sean Russo. She was right. I did. Princess was fading away, her physical form slowly getting cloudier and murkier, disappearing into the crisp night breeze. But I wasn't finished yet. One more question. Why did you save me? She gave another short, barking laugh as her physical form faded completely away. Oi! Are you okay over there? Tali had shown up and run forward. He looked at me staring at Princess. There may have been a tear in my eye. Or maybe not. Who's to say? Now, son, don't you worry about Princess. This happens every few hundred years or so. She'll be back eventually once she gathers her strength. Going corporeal like that takes a lot out of her. I looked at Tali and tried to give a brave smile. Thanks. I wouldn't have wanted that to be permanent. I'm fine, thanks to Princess. Tali nodded gravely. Princess is loyal. She was more worried about you than I was. I never should have let you leave. Sorry about that. Though you do seem to have done well for yourself. Killing a whirling wimpus. Now that's some achievement. I thought for a moment. 
I guess it is. Hey, can you do me one more favor? Name it. Help me tie that thing to the roof of my car. In the end, tying the whirling wimpus to the roof was deemed impractical for a variety of reasons. I settled for cutting off the head and cutting out its stomach and intestines. So be prepared for that one, Control. It's the best proof I can think of, and anyway, I feel like the eggheads may want to study this one. My car was miraculously functional. I had to replace the driver's side window, and I'll live with the dent on the door. But the car drove, and with a little help from Tali, I was able to get back to the road. In the end, I think it's safe to say that the presence of a whirling wimpus explains the disappearances. And with its death, the trail should be able to be reopened with no issues. Um, uh, something did bug me about all of this, though, Control. There's no reason I should have been there alone. Common Sense says that if you want me investigating in the mountains, I should be going with a partner for safety. And you still haven't told me why none of the other Pinkertons outside of Jack and Jim are reporting in. Plus, there was something about that whirling wimpus. Something in its eyes. I think it knew who I was. I think it might have been luring me out there. What does all of this mean in the end? I don't know. Not yet. But I'm going to find out. I need to speak to someone more experienced. Someone who's seen it all and can spot the patterns that maybe I can't or won't. God help me, I think it's finally about time I paid old Tom a visit. Sean Russo, signing off. For now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio. Licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Anthony Marchetta. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickinson is our sound editor, audio editor. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on superversivesf.com. And wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts. Or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.